another edition of Common Ground, a podcast brought to you by the Washington Research Council. This is Mary Strau. I am joined today by my co-host, Randy Abrams-Karras. Hello, Randy. Hello. And we are joined today by a very special, august guest. He's looking over his shoulder. Uh, None other than Joel Connolly, longtime reporter and now columnist and reporter for seattlepi.com um knows a lot about politics in the state in the city of seattle and nationally welcome to the podcast joel we're happy to have you and thank you for having me oh of course so i think we'll just start by asking you to give a brief story of your life you don't have to start from the very beginning but you've got a You've been working for the PI for how long now? In its various forms, paper and now online? I was between master's and PhD at the University (laughs) of Washington when I got a summer replacement job with the old print PI. Two weeks into this, I was able to block a uh, land exchange between the Department of Natural Resources and State <laughs> Parks, which would have delivered the entire Chuckanut Mountain portion of Larrabee State Park to the DNR, which was, of course, going to log it. Uh, I was rather the DNR being Department of Natural, Natural Resources, Resources, or mm-hmm. it was known at the time the Department of Nothing Remaining. Um, <laughs> I was amazed that by shining light on this, I was able to preserve the place that had been my summer job when I was in college, and never went back to uh, grad school. Right. So, um, where were you born? I'm Bellingham boy. Bellingham boy. And where did you go to college? I'm a Notre Dame alumnus. Notre Dame. And when did you, I happen to know that you were involved, were you not, in the George McGovern for president uh, campaign. Yeah, did uh, did work for him was here. Was that after college? That was uh, that was after college. Okay. In college was part of the Gene McCarthy uh, movement. Okay, in that's which, right, Gene McCarthy. Again, and that was what year again? That was 1968, in which one of the yes. uh, one of the people up in New Hampshire was a very severe and strict Wellesley girl with thick uh, <laughs> Coke bottle glasses, who among other things decided who has had enough hair, so much too much hair to send out canvas and who was presentable. Really? So you met Hillary Clinton? Uh, I can't remember even shaking hands with her and so on, but she was... But uh, you knew that she, she was, was there. Hillary she, Rodham. No, no nonsense. Oh, Hillary Rodham, yes. She was no nonsense then, and she is no nonsense now. Right. So that while you were in college at Notre Dame, mm-hmm. you, volu- you were a volunteer for the McCarthy campaign. Yeah. Also, as a... Um, a uh, liberal Catholic who read various poets that I was studying, I discovered that I could write press releases in his syntax. Nice. That's a, and that's how you kind of found your way into politics. Into politics. Yeah. So uh, you graduated, and then what did you do? I'm a grad student here, um, and I was doing you know, supporting myself as a freelance writer. Mm-hmm. Got the summer. Replaced. What kind of writing? Uh, just all sorts of things about student activism, uh, the North Cascades, mm. hiking, what have you. You've always been an outdoorsman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, anyway, I got the summer replacement job. And At the PI, well, yeah. Yeah, what do you do when you get something like that? I made myself indispensable. What year was this? 1973. So this was after the election. Uh, after well, what's his face? Not McCarthy, but McGovern. the other guy. This McGovern. Was, this was after McGovern and... Um, but you did you did you work on the McGovern campaign or yeah. did you volunteer? I worked. You worked, yeah. And you were you did press. I did press a bunch of other stuff too. What was that like? Um it was a somewhat crazy operation here. The situation. And you were working out of Washington State or were you uh, working out of uh, a few blocks away from where we're taping this. We're here uh, at it was in Belltown. Interesting. The interesting thing was that um, Senator Magnuson had come on as the chair of the McGovern campaign. Right. This is uh, for our younger <coughs> listeners. I'm sure we have many. That's Senator <laughs> Warren Magnuson. And he let his um, 
Administrative Assistant Stan Bearer to manage the campaign in the state. Bearer has gone on to be a shipping executive and mm. an A-list Democratic donor, mm. particularly. Um, he's hosted Hillary a couple of times here Interesting. in town. Wow. Well, nice. I'm reading The Boys on the Bus right now. And That's right. So you must, have, you must be mentioned somewhere in that book. I just started it. Or your work. And the boys in the bus. The is boys about in the, the bus 72. is about the seventy-two Covering campaign the 72. And, and how uh, and political reporting of yeah. the campaign. I'm not, but I did witness one of the episodes in that book. What was that? Which, if you will pardon my use of the language, was uh, Candace Bergen, the actress, who was basically running the press room, looking out over the assembled journalists and delivering the immortal judgment: "You all suck." <laughs> <laughs> Why did she say she didn't approve of the way? Um, McGovern was not was not doing particularly well at the time. Oh, and it was the interesting thing was that uh, he was in town four times. Sergeant Shriver, or as he was informally nicknamed by the Secret Service Yo-Yo, was around (laughs) twice. Um, Eleanor McGovern uh, was around for a revealing and moving um, visit. Is that his wife? Yeah, she watched. Uh, Lonesome George give his uh, national speech on Vietnam mm-hmm. at a fundraiser up in the uh, cafeteria of Blessed Sacrament Church. Oh, up uh, in the U District? Uh, yeah. Interesting. And the, Mrs. McGovern and the women from the press corps who were traveling with her were being driven crazy by getting these patronizing guy questions. Mm. How are the children adjusting to this? Mm. What do you do with George's diet? All uh, of this yes. sort of thing. Uh, yeah. A rookie That's... reporter from King TV, one Gene Anderson, was sent <laughs> out to cover this event, sat down with McGovern afterwards, and hit her directly between the eyes with an extremely tough question about Vietnam. Wow. Uh, McGovern rose to it, was glad to get it, and the two of them tangled for about 20 minutes, Interesting. each one of them using using her mind, mm-hmm. um, Anderson using her Stanford education, and um, it was quite an argument. She got several minutes of it on the air, but in the, in the end, each one of them left with eyes gleaming because finally there had been an exchange in which each had treated the other with respect. Right. Cause and it had know. gotten into the major issues of the day. Yeah. Yeah, not just cookies and all that other stuff. All the cookies and all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've, I, I often I'll go on YouTube and look at old um, newsreels because I'm a, kind of a nerd. And uh, you know, I was looking at an old interview of now. Granted, this was 12 years earlier, um, but of Jacqueline Kennedy. Mm-hmm. And it was just, well, support my husband and whatever I can do and blah blah blah, which is fine, but very staged and um but she was she did a lot for the arts I mean, oh, she yeah, had she her agenda um she just but played it, the it role. definitely wasn't um reforming health care right no that wasn't as mm-hmm. casting aspersions on her that no, was just it's, the uh, it's interesting the the, the you know the evolving roles of, right the approach taken by um, um of partner or the, of the attitude taken but towards in, women. Ni- in 1960 as early as 1960 we had four women in congress from the three mm. northwest states mm-hmm. that's right that's right so uh okay so you worked on the mccovern campaign that didn't work out so well a certain well. other candidate won well we came <laughs> 16 million votes short <laughs> um uh, you all now. This is a side note. I just happen to notice this. This is a, an inside Catholic thing. You also was it on the McGovern campaign that you ran into Richard John Newhouse, who at the time was a Lutheran, Lutheran minister, minister from Brooklyn. From Brooklyn, but later became a Catholic priest yeah, and he, founded a, a wonderful periodical called First Things and everything. And he was a fire-breathing um, McCarthy delegate at the 1968 McCarthy, convention. McCarthy, right. And he had been a friend of Martin Luther King and yeah. blah, blah, blah. So I, my initial memories of Newhouse were him shouting into the microphone uh, at some unfair ruling by the chair in the 1968 convention. Isn't that amazing? And then mm-hmm. he turned to, not that many of our listeners will know, but then he turned into very traditional Catholic mm-hmm. uh, priest. Uh, very, very much an intellectual, interesting yeah. guy. Wow, so you met all kinds of interesting people. Yeah, okay. A one-man counter-reformation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, the counter-reformation, exactly. He went the other way. Um, okay, so 72 ended, and then you came 
back to Seattle. And um, again, was in graduate school. For what, again, what were you studying? Political science. Political science, okay. Uh, Canadian government was going to be my PhD thesis. Really? And as it turns out, with the uh, PI, I was able to uh, put a liberal arts master's degree to uh, uh, productive use. Yeah, no kidding. Mm-hmm. And you've you've ended up in your career co- covering a lot of uh, Canadian politics and policy. Uh, the latest uh, Canadian pipeline story and the latest Victoria sewage story were last week. Wow, right? Isn't that something. And Canadian politics. Then, I mean, were you, did you cover anything about Quebec and um, the separatist movement? There is a slightly painful experience of my trying to uh, interview the Parti Québécois leader, René Lévesque, later the, uh, later the premier, later the sponsor of the first referendum in French. And, uh, in French? Yeah, and uh, Lévesque smiling at my limited knowledge of the language and switching the interview to his fine colloquial English. (laughs) (laughs) So you were trying to... Do you speak much French? Not anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Well, of course, Canadian French can be a little different. It sounds different than what you learn in... Yes, it is twangy. It's different than Mm -hmm. what I learned in high school But again, I guess I've gone from Trudeau to Trudeau. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. He's kind of a hunk, isn't he? Mm-hmm. The, the new young one. He's riding a good wave right now, mm-hmm. especially yeah, they, when The old man Trump. was an extraordinary politician, the prime minister of the country, with Margaret in the background in a granny dress, uh, standing on the edge of the stage and you know, exchanging uh, insults, insults with hecklers, <laughs> was in the Canadian Rockies a couple of weeks ago and looked up at Mount Athabasca. Pierre Trudeau climbed it. Oh, yeah. And uh, saw the Bow River. Or you just, were. Uh, yes, you I were was. there. Okay. I, and I was not there when he climbed it. But uh, <laughs> yeah. looking at a great mountain that the prime minister of the country uh, climbed and looking out at the Bow River where uh, Justin Trudeau uh, canoed during his campaign. Nice. Um, okay, so you're at the PI. Now, it seems to me you've there are two main aspects. I could be wrong here, so correct me. Two main aspects to your work as politics but also environment mm-hmm. is that is that fair to say that's correct i've had made some major sieges the alpen lakes wilderness for more than two years the uh financial implosion of the whoops nuclear program mm-hmm. that was more than three years about four and a half years as washington dc correspondent and that's uh, right you were in dc yeah nearly a decade when were you in dc what Doug dwight eisenhower would call a columnist I was in D.C. during the last three years of the Reagan administration, the first year and a half of uh, George H.W. Poppy Bush. Okay, so eight late 80s, early 90s. Mid-80s to... Uh, oh, mid-80s. Mid-80s to late 80s. To, to late... Oh, mid-80s to late 80s. And I fled back out here. Okay, so but the rest of the time you've been back here. Yeah. What did you think about D.C.? What was your... Best place in the world to work, a very painful place to live. The mm-hmm. ozone in the summer is in the wrong part of the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Inevitably, um, some weekend plan would fall through, leaving me in a hot, hot, fetid city. Mm-hmm. We uh, Newspapers had money at the time, and so yeah. I was able to flee back out here during breaks um, and... Uh, uh, myself and Mickey would head for the Oregon coast as a kind of a therapy from uh, from uh, DC weather, and I would go uh, go hiking. One of the um, one of the favorite things that I've always had, and also friends who come out, is to begin the day in Washington D.C. at a fetid airport and end the day breathing cool, cool mountain air. normal air. That's my, my that's my DC experience also. Mm-hmm. That yeah. when you can see the air in the summer, it's not a great place it's to live. News. That's no place to live. Yeah, yeah. My it's friend a- Dave Losky, who writes for Reuters, uh, began a day at Dallas Airport and into the day up in the Thornton Lakes area of the North Cascades, watching a full moon nice. rise over El Dorado Peak across the valley. Nice. It is that type. That type of. That was the goal. Yeah. Um, what kind of issues when I'm sorry we're just jumping around here but it's so interesting so when you were in DC we'll just spend a little bit of time on this uh, 
number one, what were some of the big issues you were covering? And then number two, can you sort of compare, obviously you haven't been back to D.C. since, but you've observed it, what it was like then versus what it's like now and sort of has evolved into being? Um, Big issue, the big experience that I had back there was covering the 1988 presidential campaign from Mm. start to finish, Mm -hmm. the battle for the control of the U.S. Senate in 1986 where the Democrats Mm. flipped things back to to their control. Um, Oh, let's see. In terms of your second question, that's very interesting because the Washington congressional delegation was a collegial model for the nation. Its Mm. ability to um, have breakfast collegially, work out goals, assign responsibilities, and so on. This was also the time pre-Citizens United when the press was welcomed into uh, fundraisers. Actually, mm. Grace Mrs. Harriman's living room three times. Really? But uh, for instance, and that would be Pamela Harriman, the yeah. famous uh, socialite doyen of. We got to you know watch as Democratic candidates stood up between the Renoir and the Degas and talk about how ordinary Americans were being ignored. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> uh, that that was standing. The more interesting thing was that in the delegation, for instance, they all attended each other's fundraisers. So when John and you know, John Miller would have an event at uh, the home that he and June had on John Miller, uh, by the way, was a Republican uh, on Capitol Hill, you would find uh, uh, Slade Gordon and uh, Mike Lowry out really? in the out in the backyard, really uh, having a cordial <gasps> conversation, regardless, or as George Bush would say, irregardless, irregardless. <laughs> of what they had been saying about each other on the record in my stories. Isn't that something? Wow, they would attend. Was that, that was a usual them. thing? Was that like a one-time thing, or did that happen? Uh, the the fundraisers were generally open, quite often yeah, bipartisan. But I mean, Republi- bipartisan. Isn't that Al, amazing? Al Swift had, uh, for instance, um, John Dingell, who headed yes. the House Energy and Commerce Committee, and was doing... Um, uh, protecting Hanford whistleblowers at the time. Mm. Needless to say, Sid Morrison, who represented very, very well Central Washington in Congress, uh, was <clears throat> interested in what Dingle had to say. In my case, uh, I happened to have uh, been at the Firelight Room over at Richland on a project and run into a bunch of guys who wanted to buy Dingle a drink for the way he had been protecting people oh. um, and terrorizing uh, Hanford contractors that would fire them and told Dingle the story and uh, had a friend for life. Interesting. So why are we still we don't we were still trying to protect whistleblowers and we're still where we were then. I, you know, and I'm reading Boys on the Bus has me thinking, you know, while the technology has changed not much else seems to have changed. Um, and I'm wondering Except that we have a shrinking press corps um, and a shrinking, so that means a shrinking number of people covering stories and information um, that comes from lots of places and rumors that become big stories and things like that. But we're still working on protecting whistleblowers. And, and this was during Reagan moving into Bush. So, and then we had Clinton in the intervening years and, and you know, how how is it that we're still there still trying to do the same thing because you have sometimes honest things going on in government and other times duplicitous things going on in government for instance uh reagan appointed a whole bunch of former um uh rickover nuclear navy people to as a commission the rodas commission i believe to assess hanford's n reactor the plutonium reactor that had two major design similarities with the soviet reactor at chernobyl um these people believed in absolutely in excellence in doing things by the book and were appalled at how the N reactor was being run and recommended, um, you know, five people on the, re- on the panel wanted to uh, let it operate for one more year and two others wanted to pull the plug immediately. So you had a steely, honest presidential commission. Uh, other other such panels have predetermined conclusions and, um, and don't do their jobs. 
Um, and again, to uh, talk a little bit more about open government, there was a reception that I was at um, where Senator Hatfield of Oregon uh, called me aside. We like to talk Lincoln to each other. And <laughs> this was Senator to, uh, Mark Hatfield Mark of Oregon. Hatfield. I was about to say Brian, but that's no, the state legislator. At legislative. that time, the chair of the Senate Appropriations Committee. And he oh, leaked the fact right. yes. that Energy Secretary John Harrington was going to announce the shutdown of the Enreactor the next day. He leaked it to you? He leaked it to okay. me. I went steaming back to the nice. office and uh, and hit first deadline by about two minutes. What year would have this been this about? This would be 1986. 1986, okay. And what Hatfield did was seal the deal as the source of this. You're not going to take back something that the chairman of the Senate Appropriations mm. Committee has said. Mm. Um, so it was, it was in his interest. Uh, God knows I had trouble getting my head out the door due to the size of the leak. And, <laughs> um, but uh, um, but this means that instead of playing gotcha uh, when I was let into things like this, um, I made contacts and sometimes they came through mightily. Sure. Yeah. Wow. I never played gotcha with Hatfield since he was one of the most upright and ethical people I've ever met in public life. Really? Is he still alive? No, died a, died a couple of years ago. Okay. My brain isn't worse. So I, can, I can't mm-hmm. keep track of people who are... Yeah, he mm-hmm. was he was a longtime member of the Oregon delegation. Wasn't and he? Um, one of the first American soldiers who had been into Hiroshima after the after the really? nuclear bomb, and uh, held us mesmerized uh, even more than the prices at a Hey Hey Adams Hotel breakfast by, <laughs> by recounting the uh, recounting the experience. Oh wow, how fascinating! Mm-hmm. Too bad we couldn't get gotten him on the podcast. <laughs> so who are the heroes now? Hmm. Do we have any Hatfields? Who would uh, who would uh, who would I genuinely admire? Um, John Kasich. <laughs> he helped save the Elwell River, so John Kasich did. Yes. Yeah. Who Remember, was? he was the chair of the House Budget Committee. <laughs> That's true. And came out here to see for himself oh, when Rick White said that there was a conservation project that a conservative could uh, support. Right. And Kasich was well about 20 years younger than he is now mm-hmm. and in pretty good shape and uh, and um, hiked around and agreed with White. Nice. Wow. I just say John Kasich. I know. I've, he's I've still got, your guy. He's still my guy even though we're way past that point. What about John Lewis? Um, I was really happier than when Lewis defeated Julian Bond to win the House seat because it was a victory for the guy that had done all the grunt work in the civil rights movement and had had his head busted open a couple of times as a freedom rider and again at Selma. Over the, uh, well, over the, when, over, when was this? Just uh, for our listeners? Lewis has not been me. in Congress for 30 years. So this was when he, he first... Beat, he beat Julian he Bond. He beat Julian Bond. Okay. And Bond was the princeling. Yes. Lewis, uh, Lewis was the... Uh, he had done all the... L- yeah. He's a worker bee. The work. I, would, yeah. Yeah, I guess that then would be uh, General Patton and Omar Bradley or something. Okay, that they, uh, gotcha. The person who slugged it out won the seat. Yeah. And he's been in there for a, for a long time. Randy mm-hmm. just went and saw him. He was speaking in Seattle, wasn't he? Yeah, he spoke at the Bellevue Library. Bellevue um, Library. And right. I brought my eight-year-old... And we bought March, the, his series of graphic novels that my son is working his way through. <laughs> we still have elsewhere on our uh, on the photos that I can use a picture of him being beaten by, as they should have been called, Alabama State Stormtroopers mm-hmm. yeah. at the uh, at the Edmund Prentice Bridge in Selma. Oh, right, the bridge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, boy, he sure he is down stripes, and he's being he? pummeled in the head. Good mm-hmm. Lord, not amazing. He talked about packing for jail, packing wow. a toothbrush and <laughs> the things that he would need for jail, and he knew w- w- what he was getting into. And mm. you know, um, but I, I see him as one of the heroes around. But mm-hmm. that's what who I see. Who do you see? Um, trying to uh, trying to think of who I admire in um, in American politics. Uh, <laughs> Nowadays, uh, there's a bit of there's a bit of a stature gap. Um, I think Obama has conducted himself with uh, with great personal honor as the president of the United States. Um, 
I greatly admired Senator Hatfield, but he is, of course, no longer with us. Mm. Um, Dan Evans is a great governor of this state. Mm -hmm. And former guest of this podcast. That's right. I would, uh, I would hope so. Hope future, hopefully future guests, because we, we only began to scratch the surface. Um, you know, when we good. had him on, I had never read his speech to the Republican convention, his keynote speech. Uh, from 68. 68. And it was amazing. It was mm. really, really amazing. It did not read as a conservative speech. No, but it, but it also... By modern No, it did not times. read as a conservative speech, but it also didn't read as some, like, lefty Republican rhino speech either. It was very... Um, Principled. It was, it was very principled. It, I mean, it was very Republican. You know, people always think, oh, Dan Evans, he was just some, you know, Ryan. No, he was a Republican, but it, but it was um, very thoughtful and mm. very nuanced. Not full. I mean, I didn't catch any, I like, raw, raw, raw lines. Matt is a civil engineer. That, yeah, that's true. Um, always, in, always influenced, uh, influenced yeah, yeah. what he did. Yeah. Um, for what he did in the Senate, Senator Jackson has grown on me over the years. Right, Scoot Henry Jackson. Jackson. Um, but again, I suppose my heroes, Jackson, uh, Evans, Hatfield, um, in the near past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not bad. Not bad company. You know, and I think... I think and Big Tom Foley. Big oh, Tom yeah. Foley, yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm sure there are people who these days who have the capacity to have that stature perhaps because of the way our politics works you know on either party they're not sort of that doesn't sell there's a vacuum of integrity let's go back up to the island um she and i disagree on many things would be island but Mm -hmm. uh norma smith is not Mm -hmm. only a delicious person but a wonderful state (laughs) representative uh, about three or four years ago, we had a neglected fishing boat that sank in the harbor at Coopville, leaking all sorts of oil and forcing a shutdown of the uh, Penco mussel beds and right, caused yeah. a great deal of damage. Oh, yeah, it did a ton of damage. Yeah, it did a ton of yeah, damage. Yeah, I mean, Penco mussels, goodness mm-hmm. gracious. But she and a Democratic colleague from Kitsap County, Representative Drew Hansen. Right, who has also been, we've had Norma. Another guest of We've the also podcast. had Drew. We, in fact, we need to have Drew back. Drew who wrote a fine book on the Martin Luther King mm-hmm. I yes. Have a Dream speech. That's right. Anyway, they collaborated on legislation that establishes very stiff penalties for people who neglect, neglect boats that sink and uh, and dump oil. That's right, the derelict vessels. The derelict vessels. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, State Attorney Bob Ferguson, Bob Ferguson is stiffly enforcing that law. Nice. And people have gotten some considerable fines, and I think a few of them have gone behind bars. Wow. As a result of this. So here you have a situation um, uh, where Norma is far more conservative, I suppose, than I am. But she has uh, collaborated across party lines on an extremely useful uh, piece of legislation that betters life in the place uh, that I live part of the time. Well, and it's practical. Like, it's common sense. It's not, this is not, I mean, okay, you abandon a vessel and it leaks. And it damages the water. Mm. I mean, that's and, not right. People's livelihoods and yeah, and you people's don't do that. bodies and sea yeah. life and the environment. Yeah, no, like that, there has to be a penalty for that. And right. Like that's what's the issue here? Right. You know? It shouldn't be political. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Practical solution. And uh, the state official who uh, is in charge of enforcing this is uh, providing staff help to counties and undertaking prosecutions right yeah um yeah i mean i think there are there definitely are examples i think more on the these days it seems to me more on the legislative level there's certainly a i mean there's a certain level of you know the partisan bickering back and forth but people are still getting things done without um you know backlash from the party higher ups i see you know uh, anecdotally, I've heard in Congress, uh, someone I know was talking to a member of Congress 
who shall, who was a um, Republican, not from the state, a, a Repu Republican member of Congress uh, from elsewhere, who had, um, you know, been asked by a, a Democratic congressman, hey, you know, let's go, let's let's go out to dinner. You know, we're gonna, t you know, they had some common. Mm -hmm. I can't remember what it was. It was some issue. Let's go out to dinner. He's like, dude, the Republican was like, dude, I can't be seen with you because mm -hmm. I will get prime. I'll get yelled at by whoever. I'll get primaried by just I, if I were seen. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, no wonder things can't get done. Well. But we we had one example of this that uh, directly impacts the state, namely the use of the discharge petition last year to uh, get a vote on the renewal in the House on the renewal of the Export-Import Bank after the oh, House right. Financial Services Chairman had bottled it up. Yes. And you had 45 Republican House members uh, sign this. And you had two people from this state who were instrumental in this. On the Democratic side, uh, Denny Heck, who uh, became the point person for mm -hmm. the uh, for the Democrats on that issue, mm -hmm. and Dave Reichert, mm -hmm. who uh, stepped up. As usual, as always with Reichert, there is a comparison of this battle to, you know, to the Green River Killer and his <laughs> services, <laughs> services chairman. But anyway, 45 Republican House members joined the Democrats to force the discharge, and of course, the export import to get it voted on, right? To get it, you know, and and to get by, it just, in other words, discharged out of the committee, discharged to out of financial the, services the to the floor, it where it passed by a three-to-one margin, and um, and hugely important for Washington State because for Washington, yeah. there was and other, and other, there was uh, a ceremony down at the Boeing plant where this um, gentleman from Yakima, who makes music stands, that uh, in his major businesses in China, got up and delivered a rather blunt statement to the testicles of the people who had, <laughs> who had renewed the export import bank. Nice. But in any, but in any event, uh, there was the cooperation of the collaboration of. Um, of uh, Heck and Reichert on that, mm -hmm. and uh, and Reichert and Dan Newhouse were two of the forty-five that signed right. the discharge uh, petition. Uh, Representative McMorris Rogers' refusal to intervene uh, on behalf of the Export Import Bank is, I think, a black mark on her. Mm. My understanding is um, that they try the delegation still tries to have breakfast. Um, mm -hmm. It's still sort of on the calendars, mm -hmm. and some people show up and others don't, schedules permitting, but right. at least it's still, still part of the ethos of the Washington, the Washington State delegation State. that they'll at least try to talk through um, things that are important to the state. Um, and that's, that's what made me want to come back to Washington State from D.C. is because D.C., it was just getting worse and worse mm -hmm. during um, mm -hmm. George. It was right after 9-11. Mm. Um, and just the gridlock and, and immigration policy. And there was just nothing happening right. um, on the issues I was working on. And, um, <laughs> and then, you know, and then the suggestion when I suggested our large group have um, Tom Daschle and um, our and you know, Democratic leadership meet in the larger office of uh, Trent Lott, mm. and I was dressed down for even suggesting such a thing. Um, <laughs> and Trent I Lott, said, Tom Daschle, by the way, are now going around. I know they're, yeah. they're yes, but to suggest such a thing was in Washington D.C. was just it was heresy. Mm -hmm. How how could I even think of such a thing? Mm -hmm. um, and I said, well, in Olympia, and it was Clyde Ballard and Frank Chop at the time. Mm -hmm. um, they would just show up where the space was right. um, and not delineate enemy territory versus. So, um, and that's when it became very clear to me that there's this something very work. wrong with Washington, D.C., and I'd rather be in Washington State where things yeah. might have a, have a better chance of happening. And yeah. there's still, uh, still a bare chance of things like... Uh, in the aftermath of the Oso landslide, uh, there was a move afoot to find some way of helping Darrington's economy recover. Um, Senator Murray cottoned on preserving the Green Mountain Lookout 
a fabled hiking oh, destination yes. mm-hmm. in the Cascades and talked to Doc Hastings. And the doctor, who was the chair of the House Natural Resources Committee, proved agreeable. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a right, uh, far left uh, group called Wilderness Watch who claimed that the level, that the lookout didn't That's belong right. there, even That's though it was right. of CCC vintage. And anyway, the um, Green Mountain Lookout was protected, and that in turn kind of unlocked a last-minute deal put in the defense authorization bill of all places <laughs> that uh, protected the middle fork of the Snoqualmie River as wild and scenic um, under the Wild and Scenic Rivers Act added about 23,000 acres to the um, Alpine Lakes Wilderness assured uh, the docks constituents uh, in the Tri-Cities could drive up the top of Rattlesnake Mountain mm. um, <laughs> and a couple of other things um, but uh, the Snoqualmie River is the boundary between two of our state's congressional districts right. the first and uh, first and the eighth, mm-hmm. which means that if you, the closest mountain valley to Seattle is, a, you know, if you recreate there, you recreate on both sides of the river, or mm-hmm. hikes on both sides of the river, and it is um, a modest use of intelligence for members of both parties. Uh, Senator Murray and Representative Reichert were co sponsors of the bill, and Representative Del Benny came on when she was elected. That they would get this done and keep this mountain valley from becoming a uh, place of chop chops and uh, dumping and so on and turn mm-hmm. it into the recreation area that we can all enjoy. Isn't that great? Yeah. So there are examples of... Right. Mm-hmm. I think our state... Um, I think there are probably examples in each state, but they're few and far between. But at least, And of course, um, that's a local issue. Right. Um, Mm-hmm. Probably, probably the higher up you get, you know, immigration reform or whatever. Right, they don't come together for that, unless yeah. there's Doc, money. Doc had had ideological objections to Al- Alpine Lakes for a long time. Oh, had he? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, he, he eventually made a deal, right? And they didn't like national monuments either. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole, that's a whole, uh, a whole nother story, as they say. Mm. Um, so, uh... Moving forward into time, into this very bizarre, I guess we can talk briefly about the presidential election cycle, and mm-hmm. then maybe we can talk about your take on the more state level Whatever. elections. But what 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 do you what do you think about what's happening with you know Donald Trump um, on the Republican side and the play that Bernie Sanders made on the Democratic side? Um, and then your assessment, maybe, of Hillary Clinton as a candidate. Uh, the 2016 presidential election were a fish. I would throw it back in the water. <laughs> um, I'm, there were can. There were candidates in the Republican Party uh, that I would consider voting for, who like were eliminated. John and um, and in turn, I don't. I, well, I don't let a podcast go by. Trump, Trump who strikes me as a sociopath with the attention span of a hummingbird, mm-hmm. uh, ended up good. ended up with the party's nomination. Mm-hmm. Um, with uh, the Clinton Sanders case, you had. <coughs> The fact that the establishment part of the Democratic Party has not really offered the country that much in terms of a program and a coherent philosophy and so on. Elizabeth Warren is very eloquent on the subject and very accurate. So a great many Democrats, a great many organization Democrats in this state, and a great many young people turn for sustenance to a speech that Bernie Sanders has been giving for 50 years. It became, and he delivered about four rallies here, and it came to the point where you're mouthing the lines as he went along. Yes. He did uh, He did uh, knock out the uh, his attacks on the Export-Import Bank, but otherwise... Oh, uh, very convenient. But otherwise, mm-hmm. otherwise, it was, it was pure, uh, pure Bernie, pure, um, uh, you know stereotypical attacks of one kind or another and he ended up at least with the organization democrats uh winning uh, the caucuses by a three to one margin right which is remarkable in the fact that the clintons began cultivating the state all the way back at a national governor's conference in 1991 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think it says of i mean we've talked about donald trump a lot. a lot of a lot of problems on that end but there seems to be 
at least among the base of the Democratic Party, and cer- certainly not all of them, obviously, because Hillary Clinton won, but, um, you know, the support for Bernie Sanders, you can kind of see what's happening here in Seattle. It's basic, basically social democracy, you know, really regulating. Mm-hmm. Uh it's interesting to see the pendulum swing because, of course, there was Bill Clinton. There was the new Democrats sort of bringing them more to the, the center. The DLCers. Yeah, the DLCers. Mm-hmm. Now there seems to be this new embracing of, it's not straight up socialism, but it's social, demo- very planned economy, very um, very much the government planning. A very, huge, very interventionist government. Very interventionist. What do you think about that? Um... I think it's a little stultifying. Yeah. I wish that Seattle were more of a genuinely inclusive city where there could be a clash of ideals and right. um, where people of all points of view could, uh, you know, feel free to uh, feel free to speak, and where we did not have this attempt to define almost on ideological lines community and Seattle values, to use a phrase that the uh, that the mayor endlessly uses. And having, for instance, the stranger being a party to define what my community's values are uh, yes. turns my stomach. Well, so, and, you, you, uh, and, and I'm, I'm speaking, and this is maybe some uh, comparisons to Berkeley for a while, you know, where you had essentially, uh, essentially people who were progressive Democrats, and then you had the people that gave the place the nickname Berserkly. Yes. Um, and uh, for instance, when you get him in informal circumstances, uh, Mayor Murray is extremely afraid and extremely put out by the radicals. Yeah. Um, and there's another thing about radicals, and that, that is they don't want to solve anything. I think. No, uh, they 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 look at they look at things as an organizing tool. Mm-hmm. Everything is an organizing tool. Mm-hmm. And. Um, but. Um, it's it's interesting that you're saying this. I was listening to um, the news reports of um, protesters interrupting Seattle City Council um, proceedings about saying names of um, victims of uh, police violence. Mm. Um, and I wasn't quite sure, getting to the point of what's the solution here? What what do they want? I get that people are angry and justifiably so. Um, but what's the end game? What's mm-hmm. the policy um, solution? What's going to make people? What's going to make the community function? The community, however you, you know. But what's going to make us function? What's going to make people feel safe from you know all, at all levels of society, all socioeconomic um, areas and yeah. that that's what i i wasn't getting either from the news coverage which is you know just i don't right. i don't find that especially thorough um i'm not getting the whole story you mean you don't um, watch the whole city council meeting on live stream like i did <laughs> i didn't i was in my car <laughs> come on randy sure I your, your way of staying out of purgatory someday <laughs> i have to get oh, with it i was yeah yeah, oh yeah, yeah. They were yelling about they wanted they didn't want a new police precinct. No, I understand that. They don't want that. any more police. Uh, they don't hired. want any more police. But so what? But what is the solution then? I mean, what? How are is everybody going to feel safe? How right. are small business owners in high crime areas going exactly. to be able to run their businesses? And how are kids going to be able to get to school and function in in um, whole families? However you define that, but we're yeah. families where there's a, a bed to sleep. A, a responsible grown up in the house, enough food on the table, and a safe space to do your homework, and you know all of that. Um, I, I'm not sure. I just didn't understand. Yeah. You know, the problem needs to be addressed. Uh, saying the names out loud is a good step in saying their names, knowing that that happened, but not building a precinct that. And I have all the answers, but that will provide community space and a safe space and identifiable and identifiable safe space in the community. I don't know how much it seemed like a very big price tag, but um, yeah, oh yeah, it's way too overinflated. But they were you know, if they wanted a yoga studio in there or something like seriously. But if it would be a community yoga yeah. space, I, I'm I support something like that. Right. But um, not a, you know I I just don't 
know that it's sort of like the Tim Imans of the world who run initiatives yeah. um, who don't really have the solution just lob Throw grenades right go on to the next thing. and that's what I am witnessing from my own peeps right, right. <laughs> like from the people who I align myself with mm-hmm. on a lot of things but Welcome I'm just like what <laughs> what is the end game here why how are we achieving equity yeah. They don't well, Joel, want you, a solution. Yeah. And Joel, you found yourself, you're not exactly some right winger, although I'm sure the, so there are certain types in Seattle who see you as that, but you've been, you've uh, faced a lot of attacks over the years from the left, right? Because you're not left kooky enough? Uh, <laughs> I think a couple of things. Back to the, your refrain a moment ago. What is the solution? What is the solution? I think you have people who don't want a solution, and beyond that, don't understand what is uh, what is required to get a solution. A police department is not something that you, uh, in even more than an ocean tile liner, it takes time and space to turn it around. Mm-hmm. So, you find a reform-minded chief. You ease the uh, ease the laws so that that reform-minded chief can bring in people that uh, his he or she respects from other departments, mm. rather than simply promoting from within. You uh, you outline programs in the use of force. You hire. Um, pay a lot better attention to hiring of, of, of competent people. I can think of one who's uh, just joined the force. And so essentially this takes patience, sometimes the patience of Job. <laughs> rather, than, uh, rather than a one-time hit designed to get yourself on television. Mm. Similarly with the opposition to the uh, big coal port proposed at Cherry Point. That coal port was not stopped by a half a dozen people, including a Trotskyite who managed to get 17% of the vote against Frank Chop, sitting down in front of the rail on the railroad tracks. It came as a result of insisting uh, insisting on thorough studies of impacts, and ultimately um, an Indian tribe that decided the impacts were too great. So again, it was... Um, uh, I'm a believer in making process work. Rather than uh, rather than uh, rather than screaming, and I could do nothing else with my time here, except cover demonstrations. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They're everywhere. I think there's a role for the demonstrations, but it's who's working the policy side is that what I don't know, um, and I'm not. You know, I just and I haven't seen that covered. I don't know what the proposals that go along with the screaming are. Yeah, but a classic example you had a city council resolution and a big demonstration earlier this week, uh, late last week, in favor of the uh, Sioux protest against the pipeline in North Dakota. At the same time, the Canadian federal cabinet is about to approve the tripling of the Trans Mountain pipeline, which would uh, break its capacity larger than uh, Keystone XL and put 34 tankers a month through Harrow Strait between the Gulf Islands and the San Juans and through Mm. the Strait of Juan de Fuca. We clearly have a dog in this hunt, particularly, or I'd say an orca whale in this hunt, (laughs) particularly if um, the pipeline builder, Kinder Morgan, uh, encounters too much resistance at Burnaby and tries to bring the pipeline terminus down to Sawasan or possibly even down over the border. this is a this is a pipeline that we should be paying attention to, particularly if we have worries about Harrow Strait and worries about the Strait of Juan de Fuca. But instead, we have the you know, a big symbolic resolution right. and a symbolic protest, and um, and a lot of hyperbole about something in North Dakota, when something maybe you know, much bigger may be coming this way. Maybe coming this way. Yeah, I I from my limited observation of the Seattle City Council, I'd say there's a lot of time ill-spent and misplaced A lot lot of emphasis on sending the demonstrators home happy. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I was kind of disappointed I was watching. I was like, how come nobody's chaining themselves to the desk? You know, they were all very shuffling up there, screaming into the camera, crying. Some of them brought up a good point. Like, there was one lady who said, hey, uh, you know, you're spending all this money, and I have no problem with the police precinct. I doubt it's the police who, was at, who are asking for a yoga studio. And she works for the uh, community center. She's like, what about the preschools? They're under stuff. It's like, get, you know, take some of that money or take some of the money from that stupid bike program that's go- going oh bust. God. 
and give it to the community centers that you know because they're providing like preschool mm-hmm. for low-income people why not do that instead of you know yeah what are they what they're gonna they're gonna buy out this bike program that went bust now they're saying no we need electric bicycles actually yeah, yeah. anyway you could go I'm reminded on, on every morning i drive down union street uh past the boylston intersection the boylston intersection has been turned into one of these new parkettes uh. Um, 90% of the time, there's nobody there. No, no. And in nearly a year, I've only seen twice, seen more than one table occupied. At the same time, Union Street had on it 10 years ago when we were doing the Bridging the Gap levy, a sign saying, fix this street. (laughs) Union Street has still not been fixed. Mm -hmm. Um, There is a situation of taking care of basic needs rather than... uh, making an ideological statement yeah of, you know this would be a wonderful park in tucson in the spring <laughs> or in old town san diego where the weather would be such that people could enjoy it i forgot it. about those little parkettes oh mm-hmm. good lord it's it's crazy my old hometown it's uh i have to say it's there are elements of the uh, farcical Indeed, but it's also the ideological, and you also yes, have a tight, fairly tight-knit group of people running transportation policy in the city. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they design public input that they may dominate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's Organizing 101. Indeed yeah. it is. They're mm-hmm. good at it. Yeah, they are. They, yes, they are good at that. All right, well, do you have anything else, Randy? Thank you. Yeah, thank you. We'll have to have you on another time, because one, one, one of the things I'd like to talk about is... Um, sort of following on this the city of seattle is you know is it losing its blue collar roots and i mean is some of that natural and is some of that not natural well remember when the 930 million dollar transportation levy was up last year both the league of women voters and the municipal league warned about this yeah that the uh, that the property tax is going up along with the value yeah. and values with the boom and so on that uh, may be uh, making it difficult for the middle class to continue to live here and that's been the that's been the anchor yeah. of the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's long been, time. Yeah, yeah. I've, on my nothing against Chanel or Carl Lagerfeld or whoever's mm-hmm. in charge of it, but I you know I my jaw came to the floor. I was driving here and i saw oh there's a chanel boutique i'm like good lord seattle has a chanel boutique. right and I, uh, you know average home price is like a million dollar whatever it is and wow this is a different city than the one i grew up i in. know we have to keep moving farther and farther away from yeah. the city to and then drive in to work here to work unless That's, you want to live in a closet with your kids right you know who wants that'll to be fun mm-hmm. yeah all right well joel thank you very much we appreciate it and um we will be you can read joel's uh masterpieces regularly on seattlepi.com i wouldn't call them masterpieces <laughs> but uh, hopefully hopefully at times i can be uh, effectively thoughtful yes i think you i think you do that i think that's yeah and that's thank you given. to our listeners and remember you can listen to this podcast not only on SoundCloud and on our website researchcouncil.org but also on iTunes and Stitcher and TuneIn. Wow. I know we're very high tech now. All right. We'll talk to you next time.